when we say to the Lord, I'll worship you with all of my mind, that means diligently applying ourselves to the understanding of his word. And so it's really a blessing for a pastor's heart to hear somebody pray, Lori, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for how you're speaking to me, you're teaching me, you're discipling me through your word. So, let's open the word. And... Um, how perfectly timed of the Lord, and yet unplanned, that we all just afresh said, um, Lord, you can send me. Well, I said all. I don't know how many people said that in their hearts, but, but I hope all of us um, said, Lord, you can use me, you can send me. And you know, um, that requires a few things. And one of the things it requires is an understanding of where and to whom. Which means we need to hear something that's not in the Bible. Because the Bible teaches us right doctrine. It teaches us about the character and the intentions of God. But it doesn't say, Dave, your calling's to this. Marissa, yours is to that. Luke, yours is to this. So we need to discern the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Which is something that we do in community. We invite people to discern with us. We're not individuals. But it also requires an understanding of how God speaks. And then how we would cooperate with him, which is just what we're going to see in our text this morning. We're going to see a lot of cooperating with the Holy Spirit, and um, we're going to ask some questions about that, and we're going to grow. We are growing in our ability as individuals and as a congregation to recognize how God's working and then to cooperate with him. This is Christian life, new life in Christ. So our text is from Acts chapter 5. And you'll recall that we stepped out of Acts for a few sermons to focus on um, stewardship in the kingdom of God. And that the last text that we read from Acts was Acts 5, 1 to 11, which was the story of uh, following, following radical generosity and Barnabas laying, uh, selling a field and laying, or a home, I don't remember which one it was, but laying his his money at the apostles' feet, and then came Ananias and Sapphira, and they conspired together to hold back some of the money, and God dropped them both dead, because they were trying to, Satan through them was trying to implant something inside the body of Christ that was radically, fundamentally opposite to the spirit of truth, and that was deceit. God will not put up with deceit in his body. It doesn't belong there at all. So he's a God of all grace, but he won't let something, this is his protection, he's our shepherd, right? He protects us. He won't let something grow up in his body that is completely antithetical to it. And so then we talked about leaders that need to embody the kingdom of God because it's us through whom he works to do that. Okay, so what happens next? Well, they drop dead, and so um, my Bible says that um, everybody got real scared and stopped joining the believers, and actually the believers dwindled in number, and eventually they died out because everyone was scared. No, that's not what my Bible says. But you would think, you would think, wouldn't you? Great fear. Somebody dropped dead in church. You would not think growth. You would not think this is a good church growth strategy. Right? Let's hear what happens. The apostles 
So here, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's a, part, a wing off the temple. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more, and it, the, the original language is this increasing upon increasing amount of men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, so he's saying as a result of this swell of people coming into the kingdom of God, this swell of revival, it's such a big swell that people are bringing their sick into the streets and laying them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. And the implication is that they would be healed. So before I read that last verse, this is a context of incredible faith. Because Peter's not healing them. It's not Peter's shadow. It's faith in the name of Jesus. But these people believe Jesus is so strongly and powerfully present. If I can just get close to his presence and the Lord's honoring their faith. Okay, such a degree of faith. So it says crowds gathered also from the towns all around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil or another word for that is unclean spirits. And all of them were healed. The word of God. So, friends, you should not be surprised to hear me say there's nothing new in here. This is the third time in three or four chapters in Acts in which we're hearing signs, wonders, healing, deliverance, salvation, sweet unity. All the believers were together and were in prayer, right? It's happening again and again. And what, why, why are we seeing it happen again and again? Well, this is what the Holy Spirit's doing in the church. So there's like wave after wave of the Spirit's work. And in each wave, you can see the same elements. You see believers in unity. So that means love and holiness. And you see the power of the Lord present to advance the kingdom of God. So I want to do something a little different this morning. Rather than me look at the specific pieces of the text... Uh, because we've looked at these pieces before, I want to take a step back and ask some sort of bigger picture questions and ask, how do we as a congregation interact with this text? And I want to do that around the word expectations. That's going to be the sort of the theme of the sermon, expectations. So let me start with a, a funny, true story I heard. Young couple gets married. And um, a couple months into marriage, she's on to cooking her third or fourth roast that they've had together, and husband says to her, hey, why do you always cut the ends off the roast before you put it in the pan? And she's like, well, that's the way you cook a roast. And he goes, no, you don't. <laughs> like, why would you cut the ends off? She goes, that's the way you cook a roast. You know, like, and he goes, no, it's not. Why are you doing it? And she goes, well, that's the way my mom did it. And he goes, well, why don't you ask your mom why she did it? So she goes back and says to her mom, hey, mom, remember how, like, when you cooked a roast, you always cut the ends off? And her mom goes, yeah. And she goes, why'd you do that? Well, that's the way you cook a roast. And they have the same conversation that she just had with her husband. And, and so she goes, mom, why don't you ask grandma why she cut the ends off the roast? And so mom goes and asks grandma, goes, mom, you remember when you cooked roast when we were growing up? Why'd you, 
why do you always cut the ends off the roast? She goes, oh, our pan was too small. I couldn't fit the whole roast in. And I couldn't afford another pan. (laughs) See, expectation shapes future and present reality. Let me give you a a different story. comes out of my own experience. Birthdays in college sucked for me. They were horribly disappointing days because in my family growing up, what you did on a birthday was the whole rest of the family got up early in the morning. Mom and dad woke up all the other kids. They had presents wrapped and they made a cup of tea and they all came down to your bedroom and you were supposed to be asleep and they opened the door and happy birthday. Oh, and you were special all day. I mean, you got your, you got something special in your lunch. You got the, you got to choose dinner. And so I got to college and was like, all right, it's my special days coming. <laughs> and all I got was happy birthday, man. Like, Hey, happy birthday. I was profoundly disappointed, so much so that I actually shifted my whole, whole approach to birthdays. I began to tell myself, don't get excited. It hurt. It hurt. I mean, it sounds kind of silly to say that, but they were such, they were such an exciting thing that became, nobody's really paying attention. Nobody really cares. And so I better tell myself not to get too, too worked up for birthdays. See, my expectations were shaped by something. There was a response to those, and then I developed new expectations. And actually, those linger. I, I'll just be honest with you. They linger to this day a little bit. Because for 10 years, between the start of college and getting married, there, there wasn't really anybody that was celebrating me. And then I married, I married someone who really likes to make people feel special. And so that's changed, but I still have to deal with this Oh, should I get excited or not? Okay, so you're catching the drift. Let me show you one more example before I shift gears. Let's just say that Judy and Julie, who are fictional members of our church family, are sitting in the narthex and talking to each other. And Pastor Jalisa walks by, and they both say, Hey, Pastor Jalisa! And Pastor Jalisa, who's like right focused on the sermon that she's about to preach, doesn't hear them and walks right on by. And um, Julie goes, Oh, she must be really busy. And Judy goes, Oh. She, she hates me. Like, she ignores me, you know. She, she, um, I should have known better than, than to expect that she was going to respond to me. Because Judy has in her heart rejection. Because Judy's been rejected growing up multiple times. And so people have confirmed to her that she doesn't have worth or value and that she should not expect to be recognized by someone who she thinks is um, special to her, that actually she should expect to be rejected. And so she has a, a different interpretation of the same set of events that's based on her experience and the expectation that she has in her heart. Okay. Now let's turn all of this around. And I want to talk about expectations about what God does when we gather as believers. And I want to talk about expectations of these believers. I've been asking myself this week, what were these believers in Acts expecting as they came together? What were their expectations? And I want to submit to you that first and foremost, I do not believe they were expecting miracles and signs and wonders I want to I submit to you that their eyes weren't on signs and wonders. 
in miracles. And yet they're happening. I want to submit to you that they expected to meet with a king, Jesus Christ, and to see his kingdom come. They expected that as they were gathering, it was going to be a gathering of people who belonged to the one who was redeeming the world and that he would continue somehow or some way his work of saving and of delivering from evil and of healing or restoring in them and through them. Their eyes weren't on these things. Their eyes were on Jesus Christ. They had an expectation that Jesus was present with them to save, to deliver, and to heal. Why do I say that? You remember when we went through the series in the fall on on the Psalms and we concluded in Advent with looking at how the Psalms looked forward to and anticipated Jesus? Just want to remind us of a few words from Psalm 2. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you're my son. Today I've become your father or have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them or you'll dash them to pieces like pottery. The entire Old Testament is filled front to back with prophecy about the coming, reigning, ruling king who would establish a kingdom and who would bring his righteousness and his justice to the ends of the earth. He would transform human society who would bring the love and the compassion of God to restore all things. So when these people got caught up in this move or this wave or this work of the Holy Spirit as he's poured out on Pentecost, they are not thinking to themselves, oh good, I got a ticket to heaven. Oh good, I, I, got, I got forgiven. Though that's very important. They're not thinking to themselves, oh good, I got saved. They are thinking... The king has come. The king is here. The long-awaited, long-prophesied ruler and redeemer of the world has come and he's established his kingdom on earth. Now, that kingdom is going to keep coming. That's why he sent us to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. He's going to somehow, he's going to extend his reign until we reach the fulfillment of, what what does the prophet say? The glory of God Filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. The restoration of all things. Acts 3. Revelation 21. He wipes away every tear from their eyes. No more crying. No more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So they understood that a king had come. And a king had planted his kingdom on earth. It had come. Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the finger or the spirit of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew 12, 28. They understood a king and his kingdom, and they knew we're coming to meet with the king, worship the king, and be used by the king. We're coming 
to cooperate with the king. And so I want to submit to you that as they gathered, their expectation was the king would be powerfully present to work in and through each one of them. Each one. Not just a leader here or a leader there, but each one. And I want to suggest that the reason there's such a revival atmosphere here is because they were coming with the expectation that the king to whom all authority belongs was going to meet them and he was going to work. And um, hey, we know what God's aims are. We've heard them all through the gospel of Luke as we went for two years. Jesus saves. He delivers and he heals. And let's just put these three together. He saves us out of the bondage of sin and the kingdom of darkness. Saves us out of it. Then he delivers us from the darkness that's still in us. Because we don't come in fully sanctified just like Israel didn't come out of Egypt without Egypt in them. So he saves us from it. Then he delivers us from the evil that's still at work in us. And then he heals, which is restores us in the image of God. He builds us back up as sons and daughters. He builds us back up in love. Loved, dearly loved and cared for ones. He renews our mind. So just use these three as sort of a tri, trifecta, tri, yeah? Saves, delivers, and heals. Now let's look at another three. Um, to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit as they gather. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says to him, listen, God's not given you a spirit of timidity. He's not made you weak and shy and unable to engage as you lead. He's given you a spirit of power, love, and then the last one's kind of tricky to translate, but it, it, uh, sound mind, wisdom, or self-discipline are all translations, but it's, it has to do with soundness of the mind. Okay? So, or think of God's wisdom. So, when the believers gather, when we gather, God, the King, is present with love, with power, and with wisdom. And He, what? He wants to make those known. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, Now, um, about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to not know how the Holy Spirit works. And so then he goes on and he says, now to each one, each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We don't use this word manifestation a lot, so I looked it up, and this is what my dictionary says it means. To manifest something means to display it and to make it plain and obvious. So we could say, as Lindsay worshipped the Lord. She manifested adoration for God. She displayed or made obvious adoration for God. As Vic wrapped his arms around Lori, he manifested the compassion of God. He displayed or he made obvious the love and the compassion of God. So, when we gather... We've been given a spirit, love, power, and wisdom, whose desire, expressed desire, is to display among us, to make plain and obvious, the living, loving rule of Jesus Christ.
And I want to again submit that revival's happening because believers here expect God wants to work through me. Not my leader, not somebody else. God wants to work through me. Love, wisdom, and power. So God has wisdom for everything we face. The word is full of it. He has love that's unfailing. And he has power to intervene, power to change, power to heal, power to deliver. And so that begs a couple of questions. The first one is, what do you expect? What do we expect when we gather on Sunday morning? I think in this place, if we had time to share, we'd have a lot of different expectations, many of which are good and holy. But I want to ask, are you personally expecting God the Holy Spirit to display and make obvious his saving, delivering, healing purposes through you to somebody else? Because what you expect shapes how you prepare. So yesterday, our boys went to the cadet uh, derby in um, Sparta, and I heard overheard one of them asking Anne ahead of time, are we going to are we gonna be racing our cars inside or are we going to be racing them outside? And the answer was inside, which means a certain set of clothing, a certain preparation. If we expect, I'm going to church, I'm going to be encouraged, I'm going to sing a few songs, I might pray, pray a prayer or two, I'm going to hear a sermon. Maybe we'll prepare, maybe we won't. If we expect, I'm going to meet with God, I'm going to worship him, he's going to use me, he's going to display and make plain and obvious through my words, not someone else's, my words, my faith, my hands. His love, his power. That means we're preparing differently. That means we're preparing differently for Sunday. It means we're preparing differently for Monday. Because this isn't just for Sunday. This is for Monday and Tuesday. So how am I preparing in the morning for my day? Am, Am I saying, God, display your love, display your power through me for those around me? expectation shapes preparation. I want to tell you something that is um, really, really exciting for me. I'll never forget the day that I first read John 3, verse 34. John 3, verse 34 says about God, he gives the spirit without limit. I'd never read the verse before and noticed it. I read it and I thought, God, you give the the Holy Spirit without limit? There's, you mean there's no end to the ways that I could know you, experience you, have you work through me? Are you serious? Well, that's what the word says. So then I said, God, what do you require for me to grow in receiving from you and being a conduit of you? And this is what was impressed upon my heart as I, as I listened. Hunger Humility and openness or availability. Hunger, humility, 
and openness or availability. So I want to encourage us before I move toward toward closing. I want to um, just call just just name that we've been talking now for a couple of years about um, being equipped as believers to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and um, I think it's time that we shifted gears and we started to ask a little bit more of the how question, and I think that um, that can come through a little bit in sermons. But there's really not the time to do the teaching as much here. And so we're going to create a separate space for teaching. And we're going to talk about, and this is, this is for everybody here. We're going to um, start starting in April. I think it's the 4th, Wednesday the 4th. After the baptisms and professions of faith. We're going to offer some teaching here on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Where we can just sort of lay, lay a, a, a biblical foundation for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we can grow in our ability to learn to hear the voice of God, to recognize how he's calling us to work with him, and to cooperate with him. Okay, And so I want to encourage you, each of you, um, to be there, and I want to encourage you in preparation for that to be praying for yourselves for increased hunger and expectation. If you... Listen, listen to this. Paul says to the Corinthians, chapter 14, verse 1 or 2. He says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. That word, eagerly desire, is so strong, it doesn't come through in the English. It has within it the, the meaning covet, like long for. It's like God saying, this is a good thing to covet. Long for. So if you don't have that, that hunger, thirst, you can just pray for yourself. Just pray, God, I want to hunger for what you hunger for. I want to see you work through me in, in different ways. I want to see you touch people. I want to see you increase my faith. I want to see you give me the faith to believe that when I lay my hands on people, actually something will be transmitted to them or they'll receive healing or they'll, you will give me words to speak to them that will build them up. Prophecy. You'll, you'll increase my discernment. Lord, you'll lead me to people on the streets. You'll lead me to the people that are lost, that need to hear the gospel. You'll increase my boldness. You just pray for yourself. Lord, strengthen, strengthen, stir up hunger, stir up faith. You can go without any shame. You can go, God, I recognize I don't have enough hunger. I'm feeding my hunger with other things. I'm, 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 see, it only grows if you pray for it. It gets stirred up when you stir yourself up and you pray. What you, what you long for, what you expect shapes your future. So if you feed yourself with Facebook or with TV beyond what might be healthy, you are shaping your future. Not just your present, your future. So what you get to say to yourself, this is joyful. What you get to say is, what do I want? What do I want my future to look like? Where is all the joy and the peace and the love? It's in working with God. It's in being a conduit. The hose gets the water going through it. You like the water? Be a hose. Right? <laughs> yeah. So... It's really joyful to see God touch people. But the problem is, for many of us, we got a roast where we're still cutting the ends off. We got an old approach that's got a mental narrative that says, not me, not that way. God can't use me, doesn't use me. I don't have enough faith. Something's got to change. There's an old roast that got handed down to us one way or another concerning how God will work through us. God works through children. Childlike faith. 
Teo emailed me a day or two ago a story, a beautiful story, of a child ministering to an adult and bringing physical healing from the Lord. Just beautiful. So God doesn't need, um, he doesn't need certain uh, strength in us. He needs humility and faith. And I feel like what the text invites us to today is just to pray for more faith. More faith. And this is not to negate the beautiful ways that God's already working in us. Don't anybody feel like God's not powerfully working. It's just he is fanning. He wants to fan. The Lord wants to fan up more faith. More faith. So I want to close by telling a story um, and then inviting us just to pray for how, um, how God would take us each deeper in walking with him and being conduits of his work. This is a story that a number of you actually saw happen, but did not until now get to hear the backstory behind it. And I have permission to share it by the woman that it happened to, whose name is Margaret Gardner, who considers herself a member of this church, but has been physically limited from worshiping with us for the last probably year and a half. So she's been visited by um, elders, by pastors, and is intending and hoping to come back. So about two years, two, two and a half years ago, Preparing for worship, maybe three years ago. Preparing for worship one morning, and I'm doing my personal devotions in my office, and it's a psalm of lament, and it's utterly dark. And uh, this is my honest response. Well, this is kind of a bummer. Like, I was really happy going into my personal devotions. It was I was really excited for it was a Sunday morning. I was really excited for worship. And um, it was like, I just named that out loud. I said, this is really down. And it was like God uh, spoke to my heart and said, you might not be feeling this, but somebody else is. And immediately, a picture of someone in our congregation came to my mind, and God said, he's experiencing this level of despair. And I said, Lord, how do I, what do I do about that? Like, I'm going to see him in a couple hours. He hadn't said that to me. I could see how that would be the case. Do I say something to him? And the, all of a sudden, it was like I had this sense, he's not the only one, there are others. You need to actually name this slate publicly and pray for people. So I said, okay, uh, Lord, have your way and minister. And I came in and I met Pastor Gina right over by the door here. And she didn't look like her normal self. Normally, she's extremely happy to be here. And I looked at her that morning and she said, I don't know, Dave, Pastor Dave, it's the weirdest thing. I, um, I just woke up feeling like this heaviness and this despair and like I don't want I don't even want to go to church and she's like I can't really make sense of it because I do want to go to church but I'm having all these feelings of heaviness and I said well hey wouldn't you know it this is what I experienced this morning and don't these seem to kind of work together and yeah okay so what should we do not sure uh but we'll name it so we went over to the prayer circle and we named it there where we pray before the service and Chess Glass who's an elder said well if God's wanting to reach somebody that way we you better say something you know chess love you chess probably listening to this later <laughs> anyways that was that was uh, liberating for us okay so we're gonna we're gonna name it and uh this is what we sensed let's speak about it before family prayer time so i stood up for family prayer time and i just described what had happened and what we were feeling and i said um the Lord wants to touch you today he, he wants to minister right to your place of need but you've got to be bold enough to say that's me and so if that's you, would you put up a hand? And immediately, one went up in the back, and it was the first person I thought of, and then two, and then three, and then four. 
And I just was beginning to pray about how we'd respond. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw Margaret just just overwhelmed with grief. And I looked. I had to make a decision in a moment because her hand wasn't up. But I just sensed yes. And so I looked over at her and I said, it's you too, isn't it? She said. So I don't know if you remember this, but we I, I asked one member of the congregation to go sit by each person. And we spent 20, 25, 30 minutes just praying. Just praying for God's comfort and ministering to those people. Well, here's the rest of the story. After the worship service, she made a beeline for me up front. She said, Pastor Dave, last night I walked down to the river intending to throw myself off a bridge. And something held me back. And I walked home in the middle of the night and I got home very late and I was not intending to come to worship this morning, but something woke me up and compelled me to come in. And I was sitting right where Justin's sitting. I was sitting there and you began to name and describe exactly what I was feeling. And I said, God, I can't raise my hand. Would you please just have him notice me? And right when I finished praying that, you turned your head and you noticed me. That's the power of God to save somebody from death and to restore them. And God's been bringing healing to her. Okay. Now, I am... There's no first, second, or third class citizens in the kingdom of God. We're all on equal plane. I'm not any more special or spiritual than anyone else in here. But I'm hungry. Hungry. And God is inviting each of us to hunger and to say, God, I'm going to stop cutting the ends off the roast if I've been doing that. I'm going to not be timid if I've been too timid. I'm not going to stand I'm, I'm, I'm not just not going to stand against the way that you might want to work. Actually, God, I'm going to let you propel me deeper. I'm going to I'm going to ask and pray and invite you to use me in new and different ways. God, strengthen and stir up my faith so that I can cooperate with your Holy Spirit. And so, I'm just going to lead us into a time of prayer right now, and I'm not going to pray. We all are going to pray. And if it's in your heart to want God to use you differently and to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and for anyone who, who if there's anyone here who, whom that sounds a little um, scary to, just be assured that we teach discernment principles clearly and strongly, okay, that help us keep this inside the scope of God's Word and the character and the intentions of God. So um, let's, let's pray. And I, again, I'm asking all of us to use our voices. Lord, thank you for the joy, the joy that is involved in being conduits of your saving grace, your delivering power, your healing touch. God, before I pray for faith, I pray that you would help us to know you better. Help us to know and have a picture always before us of who you are and where you are taking your church and the earth. Help us to know you. Help us to share your heart more and more 
so that we're willing to give of ourselves and to be used in ways that may previously have been unthought of or uncomfortable or anything else. And now, Lord, hear our prayers as we ask you to stir up and strengthen faith so that we too could perform signs and wonders that would point to you. We too could minister deliverance and healing that would be through you, that you would get all the glory, Lord. Hear our prayers.